According to the Harvard Business Review, when companies focus on inclusion and belonging, it leads to 75% reduction in sick days, 50% decrease in turnover risk, and 56% increase in performance in the workplace. Over the years, many companies have been made bold statements on diversity, equity, and inclusion, but have fallen short on actions. In June 2017, 150 CEOs from distinguished companies across all industries joined forces and formed the CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion by pledging support and to advance um, efforts to build more inclusive and respectful workplaces for all. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by a member of my Ronset Equality Diversity and Inclusion Already crew, Floss Agri. Today, we're speaking with Idalia Hill, Director at PwC, leading strategy and operations for CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion, the largest CEO driven business commitment to advance diversity and inclusion in the workplace. In this role, Adalia manages a six-person team and multiple agencies focused on the execution, effectiveness, and visibility of the coalition's impact and initiatives for nearly 2,000 signatory organizations, including leaders from Fortune 1000 companies, universities, nonprofits to advance diversity and inclusion priorities across the business community. Prior to PwC, Idalia led communications for the coalition, as well as the firm's purpose, DNI, and responsible business leadership verticals. Prior to joining PwC, she led internal and external communications for multiple business units with the Boeing Company, and Idalia graduated from Elon University in Elon, North Carolina, and with a Bachelor's of Arts degree in communications. Welcome, Idalia. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with all of you. You know, we're so, Idalia, you're definitely one of those people that when we meet in our career, that we know that we're going to be long-term allies and partners for life. And you're just one of those people. We're so excited to have you here today. I love that. That is always what I go for, right? Because this work is hard (laughs) and at least make friends along the way. Exactly. We need all the support we can get. So Idalia, speaking from your experience partnering, my own experience partnering with you on the CEO Action for Diversity and Collusion Pledge, we did that about four years ago at Ronstad. You really helped a lot of companies progress their DE&I journey. What is the most rewarding part of your job? It's so funny. I was walking a reporter through kind of like backstage all access experience of one of our anniversary events. And she turned to me and said, this is amazing. And I said, you know what? It's a good gig and I know it. I love what I get to do. I think the best part of my job, honestly, is that I get to, or I got to build something from scratch, right? That is brand defining my organization that contributes to my CEO's legacy, but that is also really helping the business community. And more than just helping the business community, it's actually having impact, right, for these signatory organizations. I feel like I get to use my own little personal superpower, which in my mind is just being a connector, right, and developing those relationships and helping others kind of become friends and hopefully build not just friendships, relationships, professional networks, but share insight, experience, um, things that are helpful to help them drive their DNI strategies forward. That's amazing, Idalia. It's something powerful to have that impact that you have and then have that little sneak peek into all these organizations and what they're doing. And it's really rewarding, the work you're doing. I'm really proud of to say we're partnering with PwC and the whole CEO Action Pledge. And I'd love the work that you're doing every day that you're, you and your team are doing to progress DNI. So let's just go back a little bit. I think, you know, 2020, I think for sure was a year that everybody 
you know, if they weren't committed to DEI, they got on the board and they jumped on the bandwagon. But PwC has been there for a minute. And I want to think back to 2018, when your colleague, Botham John, was killed by a police officer in his own apartment while watching TV and just eating ice cream. It definitely was a tragedy that only impacted his family, the community, but also impacted many co-workers at PwC, including yourself. I've said this many times on many things I've spoken at, that I have the tr- most utmost respect for Tim Ryan, the CEO of PwC. And he said, at this quote I love, it's, he said, I hope to be part of a solution that starts with recognizing that bias, whether explicit or implicit, is dangerous and has no place in the workplace or society. How did those words resonate with you and your colleagues? And did it help to unite and understandably traumatize workforce at that time? I'll be honest. So that was an incredibly hard experience for our people, right? Across the board, whether you were in the Dallas office or not, whether you knew Bo or not, it was just something that was really kind of, as you said, you know, a a traumatic experience. I think when I reflect on it, it really did help to bring us together, right? So you had very raw emotions across all kinds of offices. And that ripple was everything from the acknowledgement by maybe white employees being appalled and saddened, but some also wondering, is there a justification, right? And by contrast, Black employees saying, oh, the police will find some way to blame him for the shooting. You had all of those things going on, but Tim really grounded us in that notion of candid dialogue and coming together and helping each other through the experience. And it led into so much. And he didn't just say that uh, in a quote or in a media you know, press. He really kind of lived that, not just in our, his actions within the firm, but he showed up to Bo's funeral, right? He continued to have experiences with his family even today. They started a, a Be Like Bo hashtag shortly after everything happened. And more recently, they actually set up a scholarship, right? It, that action and that commitment, that follow through to say, we're going to turn something that is really hard for us And candidly, maybe even our industry, as we saw other competitors even reaching out and saying, we're sorry for you. Do you want us to do things in solidarity with you? We'll have hard conversations too. Um, It really created the chance for all of us to just be honest, be open and learn from each other. And when I think back and reflect on the experience, I truly have to say that I am inspired and motivated to keep working on ways that we can help advance the coalition's mission as a signatory, right? Speaking as someone that works at PwC, uh, it just really helped to show me personally the impact, right? If people took the time to better understand unconscious bias, if people took the time to connect one another, if people have the tools to change how they think and how they behave, what we could really achieve. So I think it was impactful for me personally on so many levels. Yeah, I I so love that, Idalia. I just, you know, people think that diversity, equity, inclusion is just simple as making a statement, but actions, it is the actions that really drive whether or not a person feels like they're welcomed, valued, and respected. And, you know, I always say actions speak louder than words. And I'd rather you show me through your actions than tell me, you know, something that you're inclusive and that you are on board and you're an ally or a supporter. You know, for companies that are, you know, kind of new to this DEI journey, why is it important for them to, you know, understand bias in the workplace and the impact it has? It, it, that's such a great question. And it, it's a great one for us to kind of take, take a step back on and contemplate. I would say personally, I think it impacts everything, right? So all of our interactions with people in and even out of the workplace. Um, so I always like to take a step back and say, so what is this thing unconscious bias, right? So experts say unconscious bias or something that we all have. So let's pause there, right? We all have it. 
It doesn't make it some negative thing. It isn't like you are bad and I am not. It's something that we all have and we're unaware of them. And it's kind of a a hardwiring that we have to, what's the word, maybe like override, right? Even though some people don't feel the bias applies to them. These are just simply mental shortcuts that we make based on experiences and stereotypes. And it's about taking a step back to think, what's the motivation here for the decision or the opinion or the reaction that I'm having, right? So in our minds, this bias can influence the behavior toward people in social groups. And we may have a a tendency to favor certain people who are in our in-group. And sadly, I think across the board, everyone would say that 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 doesn't align with our own personal declared beliefs or like our conscious feelings of, of our values and how we show up. But so once we're aware of these unconscious bias, we can do something about them. And so the bias can be gradually unlearned or mitigated through conscious action, right? And acting with intention to make good decisions, which can result in inclusion and belonging. So that notion of what we're trying to achieve in the workplace. And I think there's examples that I'll typically use with folks, right? So halo horns, I think us within this DNI spectrum go, yes, you know what we're talking about for anyone that doesn't, right? This is a type of bias that occurs when a positive impression halo of someone carries over into everything they do, or when a negative first impression, that horn, right, makes a lasting impression, even if the person performs well in the future right? It's like not being given the opportunity to move past that one mistake or that one shortcoming or bad experience. Perfect example, you could say, hey, I've worked both with John and Karen on past projects and and Karen was excellent with clients. John struggled. I haven't worked with either of them recently, but I'm going to go with Karen because I want to start off on the right foot. And I don't want John to make a bad first impression, but you don't know if John's been working on that, right? And has improved and just needs the opportunity to demonstrate that he is better or a prototype bias, right? So that's the thought of an unconscious image of a type of person we believe is good at a particular task. And it's interesting. I think research shows that these models are based on on people we have seen succeed in roles in the past, right? And it's not limited to gender or race or age. It spans all these different dimensions of diversity. And the perfect example is this project, I should say, is going to involve a lot of long hours and travel, right? We've all heard this example. Uh, And we should put person X on the account because they're single and the hours shouldn't be a problem. And and I'll say as someone that um, is in a long-term relationship but is not married and probably won't do it, I don't know, doesn't want to or have any kids. I have four-legged fur babies and those are the only babies I will ever have um, if it's up to me. And that is my definition of family. And just because my kind of materialization or how my family materializes is different than how the traditional family material that doesn't take away from the value that I place toward my family time. And so long hours and travel might impact me just as much as they impact someone with a family of five or six kids. So it's important to think about all of these different things when we're building a culture that works for all of us. And I think at the end of the day, that's what inclusion and belonging is all about, right? It's just about building a culture that can effectively work for all of us. Wow, Idelia, you really hit the nail on the head with that one. Absolutely. It is all about, it's it's all of us. It's, and I think about when you talk about bias, I always call it this little backpack full of stuff that we all carry from childhood to adulthood to make us who we are today. And it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just recognizing and mitigating the bias so it doesn't show up in a negative way. And it impacts how we you know, um, treat our fellow human beings. I think that's so powerful. So I'm going to now pass it off. And I'm hoping that, you know, from this podcast and, you know, just having this great conversation with Adelia and the great nuggets she's sharing here today, that our listeners will 
understand and grow. And not only that, I really believe when we know better, we do better. I hope that's the sincerest intent today. So I'm going to pass it down to Floss, who's going to uh, give us the next set of questions. Floss? Thanks, Audra and Idalia again. Happy to connect with you today. You've already provided just some valuable, great insights. And I want to kind of continue down that same path. Your focus on inclusion, very similar to mine. So I am now working on a series, an internal series, training series, that is called Am I Diverse, right? And we all represent some form of diversity. And I think that's one of the first steps to inclusion and belonging because it dismantles some of the barriers that may be there. But from from where you sit, how important is it for individual employees to make that personal commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion and equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We know that the organization has a commitment, but what about you as the individual? What are your thoughts on that? I love this question because I think the answer is, it's simple, but incredibly complex, which is just simply that an organization is nothing without its people, right? People make up organizations. So it doesn't matter if the organization has a strong commitment to it. And P.S. that organizational commitment is made up of leaders and folks that are really devoted and committed to it, right? And so having that widespread acknowledgement, and it doesn't have to be a moment where we all believe the same thing or accept the same truth, but it does mean that we all have to have a little bit of trust and understanding and empathy for each other. So I think it's incredibly important. And and one thing I'll, I'll add too is I think a lot of times we try to learn this. And sometimes it's also about taking a step back and acknowledging what our fears are, right? Like what's holding me back from acknowledging something or not relating to something. And and oftentimes it may just be something as simple as do I have the expanded relationships? Because through relationships, I start to build trust. I start to build understanding. I start to build empathy. And so that to me is a huge part of the journey. And it undoubtedly starts with people on an individual level with that curiosity, with that desire to kind of address and put the fears aside to go ahead and and go on that journey with the organization, with those leaders that think it's so important. Thank you for that. I t- what I took from that is that at the individual level, you have to be self-aware as a, a starting point. So building off of that question, and it's obviously very personal for you, but what is your why? I know you you mentioned you love it. It's one of the best gigs in the world. But why is the work that you're doing meaningful to you personally? Yeah, I'm going to be completely kind of honest, candid, open right now. So there have been experiences throughout my life that kind of contribute to that why. But so I have an adorable goddaughter who I love dearly. And she is beautiful and like the most little like amazing mixed baby. She is part Korean, part Puerto Rican, part Scottish. And she is brilliant and inquisitive and all of these different things. And I love her. And I think back to as she is growing up, some of the experiences that I've had in life, right? And so when I was a child, I had a best friend who lived in a kind of, let's say, upper class gated community. It had a pool. And one day her mom brought the two of us to the pool and we got stopped at the gate. And there was a conversation about like me coming back from a cruise and having tan skin. Didn't register, didn't acknowledge what was going on. I was too young. And then later on in life, fast forward in college, I remember I rushed to sorority and I called my mom and I said, I got in. And my mom's first question was, was there a quota? And I was like, man, I'm cooler than that. 
What are you talking about? And then later on, and this is maybe two months ago, I am in a situation where I mentioned I've been in a long-term relationship. Unfortunately, my partner lost his job in 2019. So I am effectively the breadwinner right now in the family. And we are in the process of updating uh, our basement. We had ordered some appliances. The appliances got delivered. I took the paperwork from the delivery man. And then he went to go look at everything, you know, kind of inspect it. And he said, I actually want to reject this offer. This thing looks dinged up. And he asked the guy, how do I do that? And the delivery man said, oh, well, you just need to give me the paperwork back and like, we'll write rejected. And he said, well, do you have the paperwork? And the delivery man said, oh, I gave it to your nanny. I was like, I'm not the nanny. I'm paying for everything. <laughs> like there are these moments. And so the why for me is creating hopefully like an ex- like experiences or a world, right? A society where my goddaughter doesn't have some of these same moments that make her question how awesome and wonderful and valid she is. Wow. That story that hit me. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your openness and, and candor. I think uh, it's helpful for people to to hear that. And it makes sense in terms of why this is, is personal for you. And as I'm sure many of our listeners have similar stories. Wow. Sorry for that experience. My next question is really around, so we see the issues, the barriers to overcome longstanding biases that lead to people saying crazy things. But we have people that they have the best intentions about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are a good person. They want to do good things, but they don't necessarily know how to activate the positive intent to reflect that inclusion. So if I'm a leader or we have leaders listening to this podcast, what would you consider a good starting point for them to be more inclusive, to start maybe exercising more inclusive behaviors? We talked a little bit about this on the notion of like at the individual level. I think there's a little bit of sometimes acknowledging any fears or reservations that are holding you back and then thinking about how you can make every step of the way, right? The decisions, the behaviors, the actions, like question them, think about it. I think inclusive leadership is an amazing distinctive development opportunity for each of us to understand the impact and the role we play in creating a sense of belonging for other people. And so I'll think back and reflect to our inclusive leadership and belonging at at PwC. We focus on learning how our interactions and decisions impact the experiences of our people by, by breaking down the conversation into two key parts, which is behavior and action. And so to become more self-aware of behaviors, we think about examining our networks, right? So who do we gravitate toward? Is there diversity in that inner circle, in our extended circles? What are the barriers to dialogues, right? And we really kind of dig in and say, let's be honest about why people struggle to talk about these sensitive topics. What is, what's the fear, right? Is it the fear of making a mistake or offending people? And how do you move past that? And, and building familiarity, comfort, and trust, right? So sharing experiences to not only connect with other people and develop those relationships, but acknowledging that I'm sharing that so I can build trust and mutual respect. It isn't just about the network, right? And the professional connection, the fact that I know someone. It's really about developing trust. And then we explore different everyday examples, right, of of how mindsets, behaviors, dialogue potentially impact the relationships and outcomes. And so this might be like, 
recruiting, performance evaluation, project staffing, right? These are scenarios where we hope people can move from awareness to action by integrating inclusive actions into their daily interaction, right? Which can be anything from managing recruiting decisions with an inclusive mindset, right? It can be encouraging more junior members to speak first in a meeting. It can be investing time and energy into getting to know each person on our team. It can be actively driving the workload balance, right? And our team and the assignment of opportunities. It's about letting data drive some of our decision-making versus always our gut and being open and candid with feedback so that we're helping people to truly understand and we're helping ourselves, right? Because then it, it forces you to ask that question, well, wait, why am, why is this person not a fit or what, you know, one of those situations? And so I think about every single one of those things that I just mentioned, those are things that any leader can do. Right. So when you talk about where simple steps that you can start taking, think about how you can make your next meeting more inclusive to all the people around the table. Right. It's the really simple things that I think really make a difference. Those are some really good examples. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing, Idalia. And it's really is a testament to all of the great resources that we see, you know, every day that PwC has actually published and put out there to help organizations combat things like bias. In terms of so the, the annual day of understanding, I want to kind of reach back a minute and get your perspective on how this has actually evolved, right? Evolved from a focus that's simply on bias to more on where we are today, inclusion and belonging. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I'm actually going to connect back to that first question about Bo, right? There's actually another half of that story. And that story, that other half was the creation of Day of Understanding. So Bo, unfortunately, is killed. We're all reeling from this. We have people that reach out to us, as I mentioned, right? Competitors within our field saying, we will do moments of silence with you in solidarity. We will do this with you in terms of candid conversations. And then because this was a little more than a year, almost a year in three months after we launched CEO Action when this occurred, there were also many signatory organizations that reached out directly to Tim as the steering committee chair and said, we are so sorry. You are doing so much. And then this happens in your backyard. But what was interesting, and I think this is kudos and credit to Tim, again, it's not just about saying something, it's about doing something. And so he said, but how do I turn this experience into something more meaningful for the coalition? And we're going to have candid conversations and we're addressing some of the things that are going on within our organization. But if I take a step back, there are tons of other signatories that have had things that have happened this year um, or communities. Think about like Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, right? So there's different things that were happening at that time where we looked around and said, other people are being impacted by really hard things too. And what if we all came together and had candid conversations about bias, right? And so that was just amazing because it's continued to grow. It started in this really simple act. We didn't know it was going to become an annual thing. We actually did it in, in like a super quick turnaround, right? It was kind of like September, October, December, boom. And then the following year, everybody came back within the coalition and said, so when's the next one? And we were like, oh my gosh, they want to do it again. This is great. And so we decided to make it an annual initiative and, and really lean into it. And it's been amazing to watch it evolve, to your point, to expand beyond just a focus on bias, but truly look at everything that is going on in society and make it an opportunity to talk about all the hard issues and the topics. And I just throw out there that what if, because CEO Action, the signatory organizations represent more than 13 million employees across the U.S., 
what if all of these people were coming together for a day of open dialogue to better understand the real life experiences that shape how our colleagues interact with each other? It doesn't have to just be about bias, right? And I think what I love too is in talking to some of the organizations that have participated in Day of Understanding, they are actually talking about the value of candid conversations way beyond the notion of just addressing bias, to your point, right? So in 2020, we had more than 400 signatories that registered. We know there were other conversations going on, but that registered that they were part taking part in, in Day of Understanding. And what was really interesting was, you know, when I spoke to them, when we surveyed them and we said, so how did this help, right? Like, what did it actually do? And what I thought was interesting, there were so many stats, two that come to mind was that more than, I think it was 71% said, it helped to increase their skill set, right? So it isn't just about the bias, it's literally about the skill set of overcoming that fear and talking about the things that are hard. More than 90% of these leaders that we talked to said that these candid conversations will lead to changes of internal policies and programs. That's huge. That's not just about bias, right? Like that's about really helping to drive an organization forward. It's about really helping to build awareness throughout an employee base. And I love that that's where it's going. And I'll throw out candidly, I think we're, we're going to evolve, right? If 2020 and 2021 have ushered in anything with regards to the day of understanding, it's this notion of continuous conversation, right? And so we're going to be looking at how we really help not just focus on it, you know, singularly and, and one time during the year, but how do we actually drive continuous conversation all the time with people if they're not already doing it? Because there's clearly some value here beyond just the the notion of I'm learning about bias or I'm learning about something else. It's it to your point, it it is something that helps to build inclusion and belonging. And uh, that inclusion belonging can be personal and it can be organizational, right? When I think about changes of internal policies and programs. That is great. Thank you for that insight around that evolution, Idalia. I know that's going to help a lot of individuals listening. So continuing on this conversation, I'm going to pass it on to Audra, who's going to ask some additional deep dive questions on this topic. Audra. Idalia, the effects of COVID-19 has been a large exodus of women leaving the workforce, and it has been coined as the great gender recession. What do you think companies should do to retain women who may find it difficult to balance work and home, you know, in the midst of a pandemic? And I think women had that prior to COVID-19, that struggle. I agree, right? It was not something that was just created overnight because of this. It is something that is a deep-rooted issue. And I'll say COVID, um, I think, demonstrated a lot of inequity in our society, right? We're honing in on one example of that. For women, I think we all know that we saw more vulnerability to COVID-19 related economic effects because of existing, as you said, gender inequalities. I think that there's so much opportunity to address some of these issues. And, And I'll be honest, I'll say one on the company side, right? There's the notion of addressing the challenge of unpaid childcare, reducing that gender imbalance of responsibility, right? Can't be can't be overstated. Um, family-friendly policies with like flexible programs, part-time programs, supporting workers experiencing increased childcare burdens, right? Rethinking performance reviews, right? So this isn't even about maybe just giving childcare. It's about rethinking performance reviews, promotions, and making sure that people are bought in to wide-scale adoption of changes that help. I said I was going to first kind of look at organization. I'm also going to going to speak to us as women. Part of this is is on us to change the narrative and to flip this, right? Like 
we have to, I think, do more, say more the same way that I said at the start of this, you know, hey, my definition and how my family structure, my nuclear family shows up is different, right? Like I have dogs and I have a boyfriend and that may not be what your definition of family is, but I'm going to defend it, right? And I'm going to protect it. And I think that those are things that we have to do as women as well. And it's everything, right? It's like defending that nuclear, whatever that nuclear may be. It is talking openly and candidly about salaries and and promotions and, and recognizing the support that some people may be getting along their career journey, calling it, right? And saying like, I deserve that same support in order to achieve that level of success as well. That's so powerful, Adalia. You hit the nail on the head with that one as well. I would say, I'll, just to add to what you just said, you know, in 2020, right before we're, we're thrown into, into the throes of COVID, in January, World Economic Forum published their kind of their global gender report. And they in that report, they said it was going to take nearly 100 years to reach gender parity um, worldwide. And one of the things I think about when I think about that topic, I always say, we always want to go and ask men to become our allies, men to drive it, men to support it. And while they are a very important cornerstone to diversity, equity, inclusion, I think we also need to support each other. I mean, why can't we start there? If we start with getting rid of the stereotype that only one woman could be at one woman at the table, one woman could be on top. You know, there's people, I really wish we could get rid of that, the meritocracy myth and the tokenism aspect of diversity, equity, inclusion, and just really, truly look at, you know, bringing top talent together, regardless of demographics. I think that's one way. I think the other thing is, too, if we can't be allies to each other, how can we then go ask someone that's not in our demographic group to be our ally? So I think that's a huge piece of part of the problem as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'll throw in really quickly. That was a huge conversation. And I have got to hand it to my chief purpose and inclusion officer at PwC, Shannon Schuyler, who really kind of leaned into this exact thing that we're talking about. I thought was amazing um, over the past year she spent a lot of time directly talking about this notion of, you know, women advancing. And she was like, let's be honest and let's be clear. That's white women. That's me. And there's a difference here in in how women of color are advancing in comparison. And if they're getting that same kind of yay, women are making it. And I love that she went out and used her voice and used that position to say, hey, let's be real with each other. This isn't going around all equally. I am a culprit, but I'm going to do more. Uh, and so I think to your point of us being allies to each other, it's important to acknowledge those, right? It's a critically important to acknowledge that and to be there for each other. Absolutely. So Idalia, transitioning now, when I think about belonging, I think about the feeling of being comfortable at home. You know, it's that that warm cup of tea on a winter's day, that fuzzy little slipper or a robe or something that makes you feel just at peace all and free in all the spaces you occupy. Do you think that we'll ever get to a true place of belonging in our workplaces and society within our lifetime? That's such a great question. And I think, you know, this may be, obviously I'm a talker, right? I'm never short on words. This may be like the shortest response I have during this whole conversation, which is just, that's the goal. I think the challenge is that it's a never ending journey, right? So we're constantly having new experiences that change our viewpoints and our interactions with the world. I don't think one day or one activity will get people to change where we are as a country or society, but we have to start somewhere. And so even though I don't know like when we'll get there, the goal is that we will, and at least we're starting somewhere. Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, when I think about diversity, equity, inclusion, people always think about if I could just get to this or get to that, it's this ever evolving journey. 
and we are all on this journey. And it's very personal. I think it's very different depending on the company that you are in and where you live and who's in your personal board of directors and the people that influence you. So that's very powerful. Thank you for that, Adelia. So one last question I love to ask our guest: what do you want your legacy to be that your family remembers the most? That I did something, like that I did all that I could while I was here, right? I didn't just see a challenge or see an issue and think somebody needs to try to help address that or someone needs to start doing something. I think the fact that I said, okay, well, I can help contribute to that advancement. It may not be the solution. It may not be the end all be all, but I dedicated my time to trying to help drive the change. That's that's powerful. And you're definitely making an impact. So thank you again, Idalia Hill from PwC. Thank you so much. It was so great to talk with you. And thank you, Floss, from my Ready Crew for another fantastic conversation. I want to give a big thank you to our listeners globally. We've been downloaded in over 50 countries. In the words of Audre Lorde, it is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. Remember that when we celebrate diversity and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word by using hashtag diversity deep dive podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the Diversity Deep Dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a difference in your world, workplace, and community.